baby to wash the down. Yeah, okay, it's cuddling, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Step four, you need to arrange the baby. <laughs> make sure that the baby and then finally once you've got the right baby baby smells right she's arranged then you're ready for the award-winning shot going to be the, uh, I, I want you to start for just a second, if you could turn to, um, in the Book of Mormon, why don't you go to Ether 13. Two and three. Somebody got that? So you got that? Two and three? Uh-huh. For behold, they rejected all the word of Ezer, for he truly told them of all things, from the beginning of man, and that after the waters had receded from off the face of this land, it became a choice land of all other lands, a chosen land of the Lord, wherefore the Lord would have that all men should serve him who dwell upon the face thereof. And that it was the place of the New Jerusalem which should come down out of heaven and the holy sanctuary of the Lord. Oh, okay. So, here's the saints. They're starting to read through, uh, especially they're getting ready for uh, publication. The Book of Mormon just out. They're starting to read it. What did they just discover? Where's the New Jerusalem going to be? Right here. Wow, we never thought of such a thing. Now, if, if you know that the New Jerusalem is going to be in the Americas somewhere, what's the next thing you want to know? Where? Where is it? Okay? So it's now time. We need to get revelation to find out where the New Jerusalem is. Okay? Now, for a number of the brethren, uh, they were in and around. Now, Fayette is really starting to pick up after the church is now organized. The, the Whitmers are starting to tell people. We're getting more and more. So between... Fayette and Palmyra, the church is really growing. There's not that much going on in Harmony, but they're all up there. Um, and we, we need to get a revelation, but Joseph went back to be with his wife in Harmony. Get ready to make the move back up. So who's going to tell us where the New Jerusalem is? Well, one of the things that I find fascinating is that in, in this part of the country, um, remember they have been... The reason why this is called the uh, burned out district in there is everybody is unchurched. They had grown up along the coast in Massachusetts and all that. They've left to go for cheaper land in upstate New York and Pennsylvania. And so they're kind of out there a little bit. So the burned out means that the ministers keep kind of going through and the place is burning with the spirit. But, but you're also getting the other side. That's everybody that doesn't necessarily believe in a church but wants spirit and revelation, where are they going to get it? 
Well, now you're getting all of the magical stuff that starts to kick in. So everybody has uh, divining rods and peach stones. And they're getting revelation from divining rods and peach stones. Oliver Cowdery's brother was a big diviner. He could find water, but he could also find hidden treasure. Uh, that's why Joseph got caught up in all of that, because in this area, that's what they were doing a lot of. Now, what's this area between Fayette and where? Uh, Fayette and Palmyra on the, on the top end up there. It's kind of, kind of western New York up there. But really, though, this whole part of New England, uh, and in fact, my family ended up kind of going from there into Upper Canada, uh, where the Hinkleys were discovered, kind of over there. Uh, but that whole area, we're now we're out, we're trying to get revelations, and there's a lot of excitement, so they use either divining rod or peach stones. Uh, now, by the way, my own belief is, is that knowing that Joseph would be using the Urim and Thummim, it made sense to kind of start poisoning people's minds by getting them excited about peach stones. Because then it would confuse the issue. And hidden treasures, knowing that the gold plates are going to come from there. Okay? So the world looks at it and goes, oh, Joseph Smith was copying everybody else. No, I think Satan was copying Joseph Smith and trying to poison the well. That makes sense. Okay? So everybody's doing it. Uh, and first and foremost in the, among the Whitmer family was, remember, Peter Whitmer has a couple of daughters. One daughter marries Oliver Cowdery. The other daughter marries Hiram uh, Page. And Hiram Page is a diviner, and he has that stone. Uh, this, is, this was passed down from the Whitmer family. We think there's one of two stones that could have been uh, Hiram's Peach stone. That's a stone? Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, you're looking for a crystal, right? That's, what That's not how it works. It has holes in it because he's wearing it around his neck. Uh, and I think what would happen is instead of kind of looking through it like a year in the thumb, they would hold on to it and kind of pray and it was kind of a, they're going to get revelations through the stone. Okay? Yes. I didn't agree with the count that that was ground, that was ground up. There is that one, and the, the community of Christ has, has two stones, uh, both of which they say kind of track back to this one. This one was handed down from father to son to father to son within the Whitmer family. So this isn't for sure, but we're, but we're it's, it's as good a shot as any, but it gives you a sense of what it is that they were working off of, and the fact that he would wear the stone around his neck. So if we now want to find out where New Jerusalem is, who are we going to go to? Yeah, exactly. We'll go to Hiram Page because he's got the seer stone. And apparently, Hiram Page started receiving revelations. We don't have copies of any of the revelations that he received, but he's starting to give revelations. I mean, this is the first kind of, we're just a few months in now into the church, and we're already getting the possibility for apostasy here. This is where this is, gets kind of dicey. Um, so what do you do here? Well, we're going to have to figure out what to do with, with Hiram Page. So this is, this is uh, Joseph wasn't quite sure, because he's learning exactly how does Revelation work in this new organization. Uh, so let's look at uh, section 28. Here comes this Revelation. Now, I want you to notice 
who the revelation was given to. Why would it be given to Oliver Cowdery instead of Joseph Smith or Hiram Page? Who's, Joseph, who's Oliver Cowdery at this point? He's a second elder. So he's supposed to be kind of the spokesperson, number one. Number two, what relation is he to Hiram Page? Brother-in-law. Okay. And number three, Oliver got sucked into this. Yes, ma'am. Did you have my phone a little bit in here? Right. I was looking in there. Yeah, I know. It, it works out there, but it doesn't work. I know, but could you put it back on so I can listen to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she put it away. Okay, never mind. Stacy? You know where the microphone is back there. Could you, can I get you to grab that? Stacy, Okay, so Oliver Cowdery has bought into it. So has David Whitmer, so has Peter Whitmer. In fact, the whole Whitmer family is all caught up now in Hiram Page's revelations. Wow, this is really, really cool. We're all getting revelations. We don't have a, a, uh, uh, an, a tradition yet of how all of this, of how revelation comes to the... So Joseph is not in the area, No, he's down in har- Harmony with getting uh, Emma ready. Uh, to come up from Harmony. So that said, so here it's going to come to Oliver, and Oliver is going to be tasked with getting the revelation, and then we're going to find out, if you go all the way down to, um, <laughs> look, look, look at verse 11. Thou shalt take thy brother Hiram Page between him and thee alone, tell him that these things he hath written on the stone are not of me, and that Satan hath deceived him. Okay? Now, by the way, Satan's going to try this a few times. Try and always give him any, any other false revelations that we know came in the early days of the church where, where an actual revelation was probably received? Where? Sidney Rigdon. Sidney Rigdon is actually the most prominent one. You may, you may not know this, uh, but, but apparently... Joseph is, is killed uh, June uh, 27, 1844. Sidney Riggins in Pennsylvania. And in fact, Sidney Riggins has started another church. It's kind of a, a second coming type of church. And what would happen is you're going to be caught up to meet the Savior. So, but the funny thing with them, you'd be caught up while you were jumping. So we'd like, get everybody here until they get in the living room. And it's like, okay, ready? Here we go. Jump! Oh, didn't get a set time. Okay, so jump! And they'd be jumping and trying to, like, we'll jump, we'll get swooped, and, and we'll be gone. It's kind of the shakers, yeah. Uh, but remember that it will be, on the day that the prophet is martyred, uh, 
Harvey Pratt and Brigham Young, who are in the East promoting Joseph's presidency. Remember, he's running for president. It's election year, and Joseph gaining some steam. But so he, so Joseph sends them out there for the purposes of campaigning. Why did he really send them out of town? Get them out of Dodge. Darkness is descending. I need these brethren out of here to protect them. Okay. So he sends them out. But remember that Parley and Brigham, particularly on that day, Parley's on a on a boat uh, and just is so overwhelmed by the darkness of the world that he just he's just in, in deep depression for a couple of days. But it'll be a week to ten days before it is that he ever finds out that the prophet was killed. So you have to see it in the New York Times. Sidney Rigdon knows the same day. Sidney gets a revelation. Uh, from somewhere, and when he comes to Nauvoo, he'll say, I was visited by an angel of light who told me that Joseph had been uh, martyred and that I was now supposed to be the guardian of the church. Okay? The only way that he would have known that quickly in an age without internet and, and, and telephones and all that kind of stuff would have been. So, so it happens. And Satan is going to work and is trying to work his magic a number of times. Um, now, the biggest problem with this was, of course, that th- this brand new fledgling organization is still figuring out how revelation comes to us, right? So that's why we're going to get this. It's going to be given to Oliver. Can I ask a question? Yeah. At the heading of section 28, it says, Revelation given through Joseph Smith's prophet to Oliver Yes. And why does, if he was not there, and Oliver received the revelation. Oh. Why does it say that? Good, good question. What had happened, when this all started to happen, Oliver came down and, and met with, with Joseph. Oh, okay. Joseph was going to have to figure out, because they're about to have a conference, that they're aiming to do a conference in September, and they're going to gather everybody together, and he's going to come down and say, Joseph, by the way, Hiram's had these really cool revelations. He now knows where the city of Zion is, and Joseph's going... Really? This, I don't think this is how this works. I, I'm not sure. And then they're going to have to discuss it. And then the, the revelation will come through, through Joseph to Oliver. And, and we have some work to do when we get up there because now everything is kind of in an uproar. And I'm not going to take the time to go through everything it took him to disabuse the Whitmer family that he, it really was satanic. They bought in, hook, line, and secret. I don't know. Because I thought Well, yeah, they just... Well, we want to know where Zion is, and Hiram is saying it's... We don't know where Hiram said it was, but it, that's cool. He, we're not hearing anything from Joseph and Hiram. got it through his peepstone. Yeah? The other question I had is, uh, at what point is section 129 of the Doctrine of Covenants become well-known? 29 or 129? On what? About uh, how to tell uh, oh. angels from false fears. Hang on to that one for about a week. <laughs> because the other place that we're going to start running into spiritual problems is as soon as we gather, where are we going to gather? Kirtland. Kirtland, the brethren around Sidney Rigdon and everybody, the, the brethren they call or the family that exists around Kirtland is really into spiritual manifestations. They're over the top. There's like Pentecostal on steroid stuff that's going on there. Okay? Um, so here we get um, 
Verse 1, I say unto thee, Oliver, it will be given unto thee that thou shalt be heard by the church in all things thou shalt teach them by the comforter. Okay, that's nice. But, um, he's going to say, but look at verse 2. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, no one should be appointed to receive commandments and revelations in this church excepting my servant Joseph Smith. We're still establishing a hierarchy. How does this work? And the best, best symbolism that he can give you is he says, and by the way, Joseph is going to be like who? Moses. We have this group in the wilderness. He's going to bring them together. There's a lot of symbolism that goes with Joseph is Moses. And, by the way, so Oliver, that makes you who? Verse 3. Yeah. Um, now, if thou art led by any time, verse 4, by the comforter to do what? Speak or teach. Or at all times by the way of commandment unto the church, thou mayest do it. But thou shalt not write by way of commandment, but what? By wisdom. <laughs> What's that? Well, what does it mean by commandment? That's a good question. So what's he, why, is he, why is the Lord separate out for Oliver's purposes? And by the way, this makes a big difference when we're looking at anti-Mormon literature and people that are attacking the church. What's the difference between writing by wisdom and writing by commandment? Well, commandment is the law. Yes. This is what we're supposed to do. And that comes from, from the prophet. Okay. That's right. So here's the commandment. You are now, I'm going to hold you to what the prophet has said. Okay? Now, by way of wisdom means you can interpret what the prophet has said. Right. We, are we about to get that in a couple of weeks? General conference will be full of the brethren speaking by wisdom. And you'll hear them go back and quote Paul and Nephi and Moroni. But you'll also hear them quote President Kimball and President Monson and President Hinckley. I mean, you're gonna, it's their idea to give wisdom. Okay? It's when they start stepping outside of that that we're in trouble. Unless it's good. Unless it's really good? Well, yes. But most of the time now, when we're going to be hit by, because uh, elders, you guys will introduce somebody to the church. And they're going to be all excited about it. They're going to Google Mormon or their, or their buddies at, the, at uh, the local church are going to show up with some stuff that you need to read about the Mormons. And it's going to be filled with all of this wonderful stuff. And it's going to say, yeah, but, you know, in 1861, Orson Hyde said this. Or one of your leaders said this or something like that. And most of the time it's going to be, yeah, that's done by wisdom, but they were wrong. They're giving their, their interpretation of that. Yeah. What, a question that I have is what is the, the bounds of the apostles? Because they we sustain them as prophets, series, and revelators as well. Now you're asking the right questions, guys. <laughs> as a prophet, seer, and revelator, the prophet, seer, and revelator, their, their job they are to be special witnesses of Jesus Christ. So they are to testify of Christ. But we're calling them 
prophets, and anybody who has the testimony of Christ as a prophet, but these are special witnesses, but we also do call them seers and revelators. And they have keys. Ah, now if they have the keys to seership, they can see in the future. They have the keys to prophetness. Here's the $64 million question. When do they use those? If you're not, if you're an apostle, but not the president of the church. Upon authority from the president. Number one, upon authority from the president, but it's even a more specific time. Don't they have to do it as a body? Do what as a body? If they receive revelation, isn't it as the complete body? And they're going to do that. I sat in a high council meeting yesterday, and we would do a... We would vote as a, as a body. We had to have a quorum before there were certain decisions that could be made. Okay? The president dies. Yes. There's the moment. When the president dies, they hold those keys. If President Monson were to die today, who would be the next prophet of the church? Elder president Packer. Okay? He's the next senior one. But what would happen is, is that the keys are retained among the twelve, and that, and the moment that they would use those keys is that they would then uh, submit his name to the twelve to be the next president of the church. Then they would collectively, all twelve, lay their hands on his head and exercise those keys to give those keys to the prophet. Then the keys go inactive for the rest of the twelve, and they are active in the present. Does that, does that make sense? So that is the only thing those keys are used for then. Most of the time, unless the prophet is directing them to go do something. Now, if they were ever to receive a revelation and the prophet were to review that and go, well, I think this is, re this is revelation, they would then do it exactly the way you think that they would do it. If, President, if Elder Holland got a revelation and he, and he told President Monson about it and President Monson, with his inspiration, said, wow, that's a, that's a prophecy, first of all, they would vote on it as a twelve. They would agree that, and then they would say, okay, this is about to be binding on the church. How would we know it's now binding on the church? The law of common consent. We would then all, that's why when new scriptures are added, they're going to say, we're now about to add these. These are about to be a commandment to you. You can be held responsible to them, and it will be done by the law of common consent, and everybody can vote on that. Yeah? A couple of questions. How do you reconcile all that with section one? the Doctrine and Covenants yeah. talks about whatever they shall speak. <laughs> shall be the word of the Lord, the right. Lord, etc. And second question is I, I've heard them that the apostles give, they say this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Now I know they do that because the president has approved it, but they are the ones doing it. President Monson's yeah. standing there doing it. How do you reconcile that? Well, because in a lot of cases, think about their areas of responsibility. Uh, I know I'm, I'm my little minor little piece of the world as a member of the High Council, uh, I've been given responsibility over single adults in the Plano State. Now, I work closely with a member of the state presidency, but I've been given certain keys and responsibilities, and I'm entitled to certain inspirations and guidance about what single adults need, and I will have that until I'm released. And I think each one of the apostles, those that work on the missionary committee, and those that are going to work on finances, and those that are going to work, or those that are sent out to a state, if they're going to come out to a state and set apart a new state president, do they have to call President Monson and 
No. They've been given the keys by the, the prophet to go out and have the keys to reorganize that state presidency, and they are the sole authority for that, but it's still under the direction. And any sealers? Sealers, same way, right? I'm now getting the prophet through that as a sealer for, to be able to bind on earth, will be bound in heaven in this specific case. And, and, and so we get those keys. So I think though, for apostles, there are going to be places where they can do that. Now, is that going to be binding on the whole church at large? No, those kind of things, if they're going to come up with something like that, it's going to fall on them to run it back to the president, back to the court of the twelve, law of common consent for everybody. Um, a couple of things. I think it was Lorenzo's mother that was talking to Brigham and he came up with the couplet that he had been thinking about it. That as uh, yeah, as man is now, God will close. As uh, man is you got And uh, and Brigham Young said, told him basically, he said it sounds like true doctrine to me, but he basically said, sit on it, Lorenzo. Right. And if it's true doctrine, you'll hear it. Unless your sister, unless your sister writes it in a song, you know. or to the uh, First Time Temple Patrons Fund in the amount of? 1600 plus. So if we combine that with the other one, this year we've done about $4,000 towards the, the uh, First Time Temple Patron Fund. Think how many people you just sent to the temple. Very cool. Very beautiful. Yeah. Can we get back on that track? Sure. <laughs> what about those times when someone who is Speaking as an apostle with their stewardship and their views, and they don't necessarily end up being completely correct. Has that ever happened before? Oh, yeah. Paul Dunn. Yeah, Paul Dunn. Well, and, and again, we talked last week about, uh, about uh, Bruce Armaconti and the revelations on, on the priesthood and all that. Well, it turned out that, that they were not right. Um, so sometimes that's going to happen. That's why we're, we're kind of walking on careful ground. So now you begin to get the idea why there's a difference between a commandment to the prophet and wisdom in some of these brethren. Okay? Yeah. Is it true that the uh, talks that are given in conference need to be on topics that the prophet has already expounded on? Not necessarily. The last time I heard one of the brethren talk about that, it's up to them what they're going to speak on. They get to do that. However, before it gets printed in the enzyme, 
It's, it's going to be, yeah, they're going to call because now this is going to be, because we're treating that, that ensign issue, the one that will come out in May, that's like, that's scripture to us. And it will be approved by correlation and everything to make sure that it fits within that. So then are we being supportive of those people that we've raised our hands to sustain if we go, oh, don't know if I can really completely swallow all of that. Okay, well, what are you gonna, how are you going to handle that? Yes, exactly. Okay, when you're listening, if, if, if when they're speaking by by the power of God, what will you feel? Peace. The spirit and peace. Yeah, sometimes in there, if there's something that's like I'm not quite sure, then it's time to go back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago. What is our doctrine? I'm gonna go back to the scriptures, what the brethren have said, what's printed in the manuals, uh, what is out there because that constitutes the doctrine of the church. You can just bring so, it here on Monday. <laughs> or right there, that's right. Oh, okay, hold on, hold on. There's a good one. Uh, when, when your husband will sustain his vision, does, does that mean that that uh, we're going to love everything he's going to do? He's going to everything he's going to execute as a bishop is going to be done perfectly without any flaws or warts. No, because there there are going to be the. That's why there's a. That's why it's a sustaining. We're going to sustain him. In fact, we're going to. We're going to help Bishop Moon be a better bishop. If we think that there's something that he doesn't understand or something like this, then it's our job to sustain him and help him be better. Now, if he still then says, I'm an inspiration, this is what I need to do, I'll follow him to doomsday. Um, but I, I just think that's... Now, let, let me give you an example of how this kind of, kind of came into play, I think. This is an example. Uh, anybody uh, grow up in... Uh, Salem or Spanish Fort or Payson? Utah. Okay. All right. Tim, what's the green mine? This is the Nephite treasure. Yes, it is. This is the, the uh, a man, a farmer, received yeah, the revelation. Bishop Coyle. That uh, where the... Uh, where a, a vast Nephite fortune was buried. Right. And uh, he, he, long story short, he went up there, he did what he was told by the angel Moroni that appeared to him. Right. And he dug, and everything was exactly like it was supposed to be. That was back in... Turn of the century. 19, early 1900s. And they dug and they dug and they dug. And they have not discovered anything yet, but a lot of people, a lot of saints, invested in this dream mine. And uh, they um, still have not received anything for their investment yet. And they, um, it goes on, there was Jesse Knight that had a similar experience, and he became very rich. And he gave all his money to church. And um, this guy, this mine sits up there. And it hasn't produced anything yet. And they haven't really done anything with it for like 50 years or something. Bishop Coyle 
was a bishop. And he started receiving revelations for people. And then he started re receiving revelations for the church. And the church was in financial straits. And he had a dream, a vision, where he saw, uh, uh, it's like carved in stone pictures of Nephites going into a mountain, laden with gold, and then coming out the other end with empty wagons. And they're, they're depositing, and this would be the gold that would save the church from financial ruin. And he started putting it out there, and the church really didn't jump on it very much. So he formed a corporation, uh, the Dream Mind Corporation. Uh, a lot of people did invest in it. Uh, by the way, it has produced uh, some money for the investors, because they put an orchard on there, and they sell the fruit every year. And so, so the Dream Mind investors will get a few pennies every year because of the apples that are coming out of the Dream Mind. Um, but it got to be a very big deal that he was going to have the way to save the church. Um, uh, James Talmadge was sent down to evaluate it. James Talmadge said, no, this isn't true. You've been deceived. You didn't want to hear it. Uh, the revelations got worse. He ended up being excommunicated for all of that. But it still exists. I mean, if you're driving south of Provo down towards uh, Payson, look up at the side of the mountain and you'll see that. That's the dream mine. It's still there. Again, that Jesse Knight story, uh -huh. that's the one that ended up saving the church. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But you're, gonna, you're watching to see because we're going to have all of these uh, when we get to the the, uh, the martyrdom of the prophet, there are going to be a few more false prophets that show up, and they're getting revelations for the church, but they're not the church leader. Okay, and and by the way, if if we're if I read my tea leaves right, and you start talking the herbal tea leaves, are we going to see this again as we get closer to the second coming? The very elect will be deceived. Yeah. This stuff is still going on today. Records have been, plates have been discovered in Utah. And a big group of people took them to the church. Please translate these. The church wouldn't do it. They approached them like three times. They decided, well, we'll get them translated ourselves. Whole new set of scriptures. And my own family, well, my ex-in-laws, my ex-husband and his whole family, who are strong, righteous members of the church, fell for it. Yeah. And I was the only one who didn't. And they looked at me as a closed-minded, uninspired person. I got chastised. And I said, if it doesn't come from the prophet, you know, uh, there's, no, there's no security, no guarantee. And then when this group wrote a letter to all of its members saying, you know what, it's been prophesied that the church is going to split... And this is the time, and we are the ones. And they were taking wow. account responsibility for being the ones to split the church. Frightening. And, and, and by the way, they said there's a revelation or a prophecy that the church will split in the last days between the righteous and the unrighteous. Right. Because because leaders, the apostles, would be deceived. Right. And then there would be a split, and they were taking responsibility. They said, "This is it." This is the split. And they were taking the responsibility of being the splitters of the church. But, and, and by the way, let, let me add to that. If, if, you get, if you find yourself hearing or getting caught up in, in a group that says there's going to be a time coming when 
The, the way that we'll tell the righteous from the wicked is those that have their food storage and those who don't. And the righteous are going to be the ones who have it. And you're going to be carted off out to the desert and you're going to live in tents. And the righteous will be there and everybody else will be miserable. Come talk to me because that's the latest iteration of this. Okay? Now, so all I'm saying is, is that as we get closer to the second coming, this becomes very applicable. Well, other voices are coming up and they're going to have revelations and they're going to have, and it's going to sound sort of plausible sometimes. But remember, it's always going to be based on, as it was for Hiram, as it was for Oliver and David Whitmer, it's always going to be predicated on the fact that most of the church won't understand this. You're, you're more righteous, you're smarter, you're more in tune, you're more prepared. It's going to appeal to, a, uh, to a, an elite uh, spiritual snobbishness that says, I'm getting revelations and you aren't. That says something about me, you poor thing. So if the bishop has one Sunday morning where he's saying we've received this information from the First Presidency and we are asking members to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. So is that how we would expect something to be legitimate? Absolutely. And if he's reading a letter from the First Presidency to that effect, I'm, I'm following that thing. Sometimes <laughs> you have to watch what the bishop says. When I was on my mission, there was a commission that said that the first presidency had said that it was all right to have plural marriage. Oh. And, and so they where, where was this at? England. Oh, good, yeah. <laughs> and so they started, uh, uh, within that ward, they started uh, practicing, practicing plural, all that plural marriage. Learning. And it was a very weird form of plural marriage. And, and it ended up that the brethren had come over and this wasn't in the north of England, was it? No, it was in the south. Okay. <laughs> and, we, we had some alliteration of that in the north, yeah. And, uh, and so they, uh, they had to, to uh, thin the ward out a little bit. <laughs> well, all, I, all I'm saying is, and I don't want to beat this too much. All I'm saying is, we're going to have to be... That's why, to me, this is so apropos to now. Because I believe that as we get close to the second coming... We're going to see some of this stuff, and it's going to really test us. And you're going to have to know what is our doctrine, what do I believe, do I have a testimony of the prophet. Uh, if a couple of the apostles decide to weird out and, and break off, they're going to be the separate faction and the really popular apostles. Where's my testimony at? Okay, yeah. I think they're trying to prepare us for that because they, you know, the messages, I mean, this month's message is listen and follow the prophet. Okay, now, now let, let, let me take that, though. One last, one last piece to this. If you say to an, an elders, let's come back to you guys for a second. Okay? Um, elders? Yeah, yeah you guys. <laughs> you say to them, you, you, say, you say to an investigator... Guess what? Uh, the, the cool thing about our church is that a prophet is back on the earth. Really? A prophet just like Moses. Wow. What's his name? Thomas Monson, he lives in Salt Lake. What, in terms of references, what do people know about following unquestionably a prophet? Oh. Davidian. Davidian, stop, Rat Davidian, Waco. 
How has it gone for people that are going to like, here comes the spaceship and let's put on our tennis shoes and wait for it. We have, we're starting to have a tradition of false prophets. And so when we say to, when we say to people, we believe in following the prophet and our testimony is in the prophet and we will follow him. Does that weird people out a little bit? That's going to sound a little bit like sheeple, right? Whatever he says, we will do. And then he's going to elect a president and he will follow Salt Lake. Yes. We've actually like, I've actually shied away from that a little bit because people will start saying things like, oh yeah, of course there's prophets and, and there's bad prophets. And they, like, they just ignore the question of like, the significance of it all. Yeah, because it just freaks them out. They don't really understand the priesthood things. So yeah. Kind of it yeah, it's one of those things you've kind of got to work up to. Yeah. That's right. That's true. It ended up into our perception. Yep. Okay. That said, so now now let's watch how real profit works. Coffee, tea, and Kool-Aid. That's nice. Okay. <laughs> All right. Section twenty-nine. Section twenty-nine is one of the more amazing sections in all the doctrine covenants. And I think it's, it's fascinating to me that this comes at the time of the Second General Conference of the Church. It's in September 1830. And we're going to have six brethren there. And we've just gone through this whole thing about prophets and how prophets get answers to prayers. And who is a prophet and who is entitled to receive revelation. Because here are these six brethren that are gathered. And Joseph, just before this conference starts, is going to have a revelation right in front of them. They're going to watch because most of the prophets, most of the revelations happen to Joseph quietly. Uh, him and Oliver, here it comes, they write it down, they, they hand it out. This is given um, in front of six brethren. Uh, it's given the way that we know that most of these revelations were given. He would get a line, he would speak it slowly, Oliver would write it, read it back. Here comes the next line. Make sure it's accurate. So it's slowly unraveling. Unraveling. Un slowly revealing. That sounds better. Unraveling. So here comes this revelation. Okay, in front of the brethren. Let's watch how a prophet really works and the Lord really means what he says about uh, this is my prophet. Okay. Now, by the way, look at the very first line in section 29. The very first word is what? Listen. listen. To who? To Jesus Christ. Yeah, don't listen to Joseph. Listen to me. And I will speak through this boy whose language isn't very good. and He's kind of a rough song kind of guy. But I'm going to give revelations through him. But in it's whose voice? It's mine. Listen. Okay? I just, I just think that's spectacular. Now, listen. And then he's going to give an analogy that has been used for a long time. And I don't know if you've ever really kind of thought through this. But it really is a sweet analogy. I love this thing. Okay? Listen. Verse 2. To, um, by the way, to uh, your Redeemer, the great I Am, who will do what? He's going to gather you. And now there's a lot of things that he could have used... And 
how, what symbols he uses are critical. And, and if he was just going to use a symbol of, I will gather you as a, as a powerful army and stick you behind a mighty wall and we will slay everybody else and you, know, you will be protected because I will beat them up kind of thing. That's one thing. But the analogy that he's going to use here is, I will gather you as what? Chicken. And gather the Christians. <laughs> Yeah, and so you get this, you get this sweet image of this. And by the way, this is this one is used um, in a lot of places. Now, who is going to be gathered under her wings? As many as will hearken and humble themselves before me and call upon them in mighty prayer. So you got a bunch of chickens for the moment. Okay. How, how well do they listen to mom? Oh, they follow like... Yeah, yeah they will be all over the place. And they're just pecking. And, and, and the, the, the analogy, I love the imagery of them just kind of pecking and looking and running around and pecking and looking. But they're, they're, they're probably the least protected, uh, least able to defend themselves kind of animal until she squats or, or something. And then what do they do? They run. They run. They're going to gather underneath her wings. Okay. Now, think of the analogy of that. If the Savior is likening himself to a mother hen, what kind of images do you get with that? Warm, closeness, tender, safe, soft. He's going to bring him in. He's going to have him safe underneath there. Okay. Yeah, why? There's nothing defending the mother. That's right. If it's a storm and there's no barn, there's no barn there, all the elements are going to hit Mama Hen, but she's got them gathered underneath there. Okay? Yeah. There's a story of a prairie fire that levels a field and then the farmer goes out and sees these mountains. Uh-huh. can't figure out what it is and it's a dead hen. I mean, a lot of yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing. So you start to get that kind of tenderness. Okay? Yeah, Elder? <laughs> then, then you're toast. You're sandwich. Yeah. Oh, I like that. She says that when mom actually sits down and spreads her, her wings and her feathers, they're just totally enveloped and all that. Okay, now, this analogy, let's take this one step farther because there's a reason I think the Savior does this. Nephi, in the Psalm of Nephi, uh, 2 Nephi 4, is going to talk about envelop me in your arms of mercy kind of thing, okay? Wrap me in. And one way of describing the atonement has been that it is a loving embrace. That you're going to be drawn in to Him. It's the last thing you do in the temple, okay? There is that enveloping kind of thing. And that is the atonement. The atonement is a covering. Remember, uh, the, the word for atonement is kapoor. It's a covering. And, and that's what the mother hen is doing. She's covering and protecting these chicks. 
and, and you get this sense of saying, and there'll be safety under my wings. Beautiful little theme that goes with that. And he's saying to, and by the way, so what does Joseph have in front of him? Six new elders. We have a church in embryo. It's just starting. They are their chicks. And in fact, remember when, when Zion falls, which it will in about three years, <coughs> from here, 1833, the Lord's going to say to them, Fear not, little fuck. You know, I'm with you. You get that whole sense of trying to take care of. Okay? All right. Oh, by the way, one other piece of this. If you want to hop over for just a second, uh, somebody hop over to 3rd Nephi 10, 5 and 6. So powerful is this uh, analogy of the, of the mother hen and the chicks that the Savior himself will use it. And he's going to do it at a time, this is coming out of the darkness, the people have been, Zarahemla and everybody's been destroyed, and there's, and there's all of this, okay? Stacy, you got that? And again, who oft would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings? Yea, O ye people of the house of Israel, who have fallen. Yea, O ye people of the house of Israel, ye that dwell at Jerusalem, as ye that have fallen. Yea, how oft would I have gathered you as a hen gathered her chickens, and ye would not. O ye house of Israel, whom I have spared, how oft would I gather you as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings? Now, if you listen closely to what's being said there, that's fascinating to me because he's going to say, and, and, th- and when you see often, say often. Okay, it, it helps you understand better. How often would I have gathered you? You've fallen. How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens and you would not? And then six, house of Israel, all of us. O house of Israel, whom I have spared, how often will I gather you? There is still a time to come that he says, I will gather you as a hand gathers you. In other words, my atonement, my loving arms will gather gather you in. And by the way, these days we gather where? In our stakes. So a state conference is. That's a mother hand gathering. And here's, here's the people in a state conference setting. We gathered in everybody uh, in this area. Okay, um, and all we've got to do is do what? If you will, repent and return. No matter what you've done, if you will repent and return, I will be glad to gather you back under my wings, and you will be safe and you will be protected. The phrase there with purpose of heart. Yeah. We have to be sincere. We do, and we're willing to be protected, and we're, we, but we have to be willing. If, if a fox is kind of sliding along here and one of the chicks decides they're going to do their own thing, they're not going to necessarily scoot in their mom very fast, they're pretty exposed. So we've got to come back with full purpose of heart. All right. Now... This next part, I think, is really important. And it comes on the heels of 
what just happened with Hiram Page. And I think it becomes really important to us on a regular basis here in the church. And now it is written, verse 6, Whatsoever ye shall ask in faith... Now there's going to be an important uh, caveat here. You're going to ask in faith, but you also have to do what? Be united in faith. This, this concept of being united is going to be is really powerful and it's really important. But it can really be misunderstood if we're not careful. Okay? When, when we talk about being united, what's he referring to in the church? Being of one mind. Kind of one mind, one heart, we call that. Zion. Okay, that's a unitedness. Okay, we're all on the same page, yeah. Yeah, now, now if you start thinking about it, whenever I'm looking at something like this, my brain wants to go, okay, let me go into the scriptures and find all these places where the Lord is using the same language. And one of those is John 17. Father, I'm grateful for these apostles, these disciples you've given me. Make them what? One in me as I am in thee. By the way, if anybody has trouble with the Trinity, they need to go to John 17. He said, make them one in unity with me as I am with thee. And we're not going to try and morph all these guys into one God yet. But he said, there is a unity and purpose that we have as a Godhead this unity wants, I want to extend to the disciples. Okay? Now that's a nice concept, but let me tell you where I think it, where we struggle with it a little bit. Okay? Let's say, kind of facetiously here for a second. Let's say that Heather has a, uh, a favorite uncle, and he is struggling with cancer. Okay? And I've got Deb, and she has a favorite uncle. And he's struggling with cancer. And Heather, you don't know very many people, so it's really just you praying to Heavenly Father that your uncle will be healed. But your husband's the bishop, and so you have the ward, the, the state knows you, so now we have the whole state, and everybody is fasting and praying for Debbie Ragsdale's uncle. Okay, you got the, and they're, they're fasting, there's all kinds, so that's going to happen. It's just heaven. And she's going to pray. Okay? Which prayer gets answered first? Most. Huh? The one with the most. The one that browbeats him. The one that's most united with the will of the Lord. <laughs> but but if you but again if you've got if you've got a thousand people united isn't that stronger than the one person united? Well, it depends on what the will of the Lord is. Maybe they're both supposed to die. Maybe they are. Okay. So which prayer gets at? So so the the one we can get caught up in is the Lord really wanted to to save Heather's uncle. But she didn't have enough, you know, or there's more of it. And I wasn't quite sure on this one, but because we have a whole order of whole state, 
fasting, then I'm going to listen to this one. And I really kind of wanted to say that his uncle, but there was no word fasting for her. And by the way, you just prayed you didn't even fast. And I really wanted to save him, but you kind of, you did it wrong. Okay, say, say that again. Yes. Which prayer is he going to hear first? Both. Okay. That, otherwise, that just doesn't make sense, right? Okay, so here comes the question. You ready? You guys see this coming. Then why are we fasting as wards and states and families and everything? Because it's like, we, he's, got, he's got cancer. He's not getting well. He must not be answering our prayers. So let's get the whole family together to fast. And maybe we can kind of, I don't know, gang up on him. <laughs> Because we're not getting the answer we want, but the more we can get involved, then we've got a better chance of getting what we want. Say This is like you said, it brings to unite us. Sometimes we work for something together, then we get it on the wrong line. We learn to put aside our differences to focus on a cause, a certain cause, whether it be to the answer for that. Okay. On the other hand, you know, I've never said this to anybody, so I don't know if we're on Yes. To, and sometimes I think it's because we don't want to accept the world. And, and, and isn't there a sense, and let's put this out there. Let's put this really put it out there. I just want to sat on the surface, okay? And the idea is, is that she's not getting well. If we will all do it as a family, then we can kind of almost force our will as a family because we want, we love her. We don't want to lose her. We want to somehow kind of force our outcome on him because he's not doing it on his own, okay? I think it's our opportunity. The, the fasting and praying is more for us. Why? It's our opportunity to serve the person that's ill. Or put our will in Okay. Look at verse 8. Okay, verse 6. We're going to be reunited in prayer. Verse 7. You're called to bring to pass the gathering of our elect. Talked about elect. I hope last week. In election year, those that are, we're going to elect are going to represent our values. They're going to be, uh, they're supposed to do our will. They're supposed to represent it. I know. Marlo didn't do that. I'm going to beat on him. Tuesday night. Well, and it's an election year. This is what we do. So the elect are those that have been chosen by him. The elect of the church. Chosen by him to represent him to do his work. That's the elect. That's us. We've been elected. The other word for that is chosen. We've been chosen. Many are called. Few are chosen. But Okay. So it's our job as saints to gather up the chosen. One of a town, one of a family, two of a city kind of thing. We're going to go out and gather them. Elders, that's why you guys knock on a lot of doors and stuff. And maybe of a thousand doors, one person says... I get it. You go, okay, I found, I found the chosen one. I found the elected one. I found the one whose heart was ready. Okay? So, he's going to say, uh, you're called to, uh, the gathering of mine elect under my wings, as the chick is gathering them. Okay? Mine elect, hear my voice and harden not their hearts. Okay? Now, eight. Here, you're about to see why it is that we pray as, as a ward 
why you pray as a family, why we may have a fast, for those kind of things, why we try and unite our hearts. There's a reason for that. And it may be just opposite of what you thought. Wherefore the decree hath gone forth from the Father that they shall be gathered into one place upon the face of this land. And by the way, they're about to find out where that is within the next six months. From the church's standpoint, where's that gathering place going to be? Kirtland. We're going to be gathered into Kirtland. Okay? We're going to start going out. This will be the first time that the church starts to gather. Right now you just stayed in your house, and now we're going to say, pull up roots and come join these other believers of Joseph Smith, and you're going to have to change states, and we're, we're going to pour down into the, into the Ohio, okay, to the great Western Reserve, it's going to be called. It's, it's reserved from Pennsylvania. It's another story. Anyway, okay. Um, they'll be gathered into one place to do what? Prepare their hearts. And be prepared in all things when the day when tribulation and desolation are sent upon forth on the wicked. Okay, that first part. Why is it that uh, we pray as groups and as families and as husbands and wives and all that? What's the purpose? To prepare our hearts for what? For whatever. <laughs> yeah, to be prepared. And, and by the way, and. Does this come into play in the temple? Sure. We're going to have to be united. And if we are united, then what happens to the spirit? It is unrestrained. Meaning that if we are not united, if we're quibbling, if we're fighting, then the spirit is restrained. It meaning that we don't get as much information as we could. There's a lot of healing. That's the moment. And we know the story, right? Of Joseph and Emma uh, translating in the early days before Oliver gets there and she's translating. Or no, he's sitting with Oliver now and, and he's arguing with Emma uh, that morning and he's going to come down and it's like, dang, this ain't working. And Oliver goes, you're just not on. No, what's going on? Oh, that's right. With that argument I had with Emma. He goes out, apologizes, come back. They're off and running again. The spirit was restrained. It was held back because they weren't united. Okay? So, when, let's say that it's Debbie's uncle, and now you're going to pray, and, and the Lord loves Debbie, and so the Lord says, if you're fasting, we'll fast with you. The purpose of that is what? To be united. For what purpose? To give personal Yeah. I think that's what it is. It is. And the idea there is that the spirit will be unrestrained that comes into a group that is fasting and praying for a common cause so that we can be at peace and we can be at comfort and we can know the Lord's will. If the idea is we're going to hold a war fast because she hasn't been getting well, or the uncle hasn't been getting well, we're going to pray for him, and by all doing it together, we can kind of overwhelm the Lord and get what we haven't gotten from him already then we're, we're missing the point. It's like we're trying to tell him what to do. The purpose of being united is to receive more of the Spirit so that our hearts knit, we're one, and then we understand better, not just what needs to happen there, but greater love and congeniality and everything that Does that make sense? Yeah. I like your analogy of the, the guy being sick. 
stuff that we kids just to be prepared. And I think it helps us if we know that we fasted and prayed for him, and then he passes away. We know for sure that it was the will of the Lord because we did everything that we were supposed to do. Yet. So we can have peace. And so part of that preparation is so that we know whatever the Lord decides to do, that we're, we're at peace with that. And that would be a reason to do that. Yeah, we can I was going to say that, you know, it, it um, then becomes irrelevant whether it's one or fifty. Yes. Because it's an issue. Yes. Because then it would kind of become capricious that says if Heather is on her own and it's just her praying and by the way she forgot to fast. Yeah, but her ability to, to pray about it and to feel at peace with what's going on. It, the Lord doesn't become then of more respect to her persons uh, because Debbie's husband is the, the bishop and Heather has a wonderful husband but he's not the bishop so he's not as well known and so... We have a lot of people praying here and not. That wouldn't make any sense at all. The Lord loves us equally. Yeah. So the more we have the prayer wall. Ah, thank you. So now let's take it one step farther. So in the temple we have the prayer wall. We're going to put people's names on the prayer wall. What's the purpose of that? And we're going to put it on the altar. We prayed for it. Okay, what's the purpose? Yeah. But if somebody forgot to put their name on the prayer roll and somebody did, then then you have the benefit of thousands of people praying and you What's the pur let's go back. What's the purpose of praying together and be united? To prepare our hearts for what it is that the Lord has in mind for us. Does that make sense? Isn't that great? They felt the strength there the it is. The and that is the purpose of a ward fast in my mind. The purpose is to draw close to one another, to, to have a greater charitable heart kind of thing. That's why I think it's just lovely that, that the fact, doesn't matter whether somebody's being released from a calling or they're being sustained. What do we do? In other words, that's a, that's a sign that we are all united as a group to be supportive of them in their, their new calling. I just think that's that's such a beautiful thing. And and if we have, if we think we're voting, you know, if you have enough votes, you get to be, you know, really signed president. If you don't have enough votes, you don't, you're missing. Yeah. I think it's important for us to know that our prayers are just as powerful. Because sometimes the Lord just overlooks mm -hmm. certain people or incidents because they don't know or you know, um, they fast for one person and they don't fast for another. So it's important for us to know that our prayers are as powerful so we don't feel like we've been gypped. And if, and if we get caught, that's why if we get caught up in this whole thing of who has the most praying for us, gets the most blessings, we're missing completely what it is that the Lord's trying to tell us in section 29. Yeah. So, just for my clarification. Yes, sir. Are we, are we not praying for them to get better then? Or are we praying to understand the will of the Lord? Uh, you know, and when they say, well, we're going to pray for Susie Q, you know, what are we really praying for? I'm, I'm confused. 
You, you see, you are now asking the right question because that's the moment where I love this person. I don't want to lose them. They're a valuable part of our family. This is my mom. This is my aunt. This is my grandma. And but but we're still even at those moments for all the right reasons. We're still trying to impose our will on on the Lord, and we don't know what it is that is best for them and those on the other side. And and so if we're, if our purpose in praying for that is to come to understand His will and to be at peace and understand that, then we, we get to see His purposes unfold. But it, but where I, but where we miss this sometimes, this is why I keep kind of coming back to this point, is that too often I think we hear in fast and testimony meetings, the Lord heard my prayers and she was healed. Meaning that if she wasn't healed, the Lord didn't hear my prayers. And, and that's not true. Yeah. Um, I had a friend who lost a child. Yeah. And all I could do was hit my knees and pray that the Lord would bless her. Yeah. And help her through this. I couldn't pray that the child would come back to life. Yeah. But even though we want to, I couldn't do nothing. I know. <laughs> I know. See, yeah. and I think that that's the, the absolute genius of the Temple Prayer Roll is that when, we, when there's nothing else we can do, there is an actual physical thing that we can do. And that is that we can go to the person's name on the prayer roll. And it is one it of the, us a, a way to take action when there's no other action to be taken. And it is one of the beautiful things about this church, by the way, that again, in other, and we've mentioned this before, in other churches, how do they know that, that they're going to have the prayer warriors get together at the church on Saturday morning and they're just going to pray for somebody? How do they know that that prayer was affected? It happened. What's missing from their theology is the fact that they could pray and receive peace whether they die or not. And that was an answer that God spoke to them. They're, they're missing that piece that says God can speak to me. That got left out of, of their theology. Yeah. To me, the real purpose of praying a lot and fasting is to be able to get to a point where instead of saying, please let this happen, we can say, let thy will be done, not mine. Yeah, and I've even got to the point where, uh, and I've mentioned this in other places, my prayers have just changed dramatically to the point where I'm saying, I know you'll watch over my family today. I know you will, because that's what you do. It's my, and, and, and I know that you'll watch over my aging father, and I know that you'll watch over my grandkids. Thank you. If there's anything I need to do, help me to know that. Rather than me trying to tell him what to do and impose my agenda. Yeah, yeah. There, there is also the gift of people. So my recommendation is usually find someone who has the gift of healing. Yeah. And see and ask them right, that the Lord's will will be done. Because they have the gift of healing. I don't, I don't think it means that they can impose healing. Well, and yeah. You know, when, when you get to, uh, tell you what, when we get to section 40. Five. We talked about the gift. Let's go through that a little bit more in depth. Yeah. yeah I understand time we're out of time, but you say a lot of times it's personal or gratitude, which I think is good. I think the more gratitude we have, the more we see. But it also says in the scriptures to ask. Mm-hmm. So yeah. We, we, I mean, I think we need to have prayers of gratitude or else. Mm-hmm. And if I'm inspired to ask, I'll ask. <laughs> the Spirit will tell me the things that I need to say. Yeah. I've, just recently read a scientific journal where they study the power of prayer, not from a religious point of view, but from a scientific point of view. 
and they did 150 case studies where they studied people yeah. who were prayed, yes. and they found those who would be had been prayed for, even though they didn't even know the people there, they were healed. But the, the, the more, things more were happening than the other group. Yeah. Also, they found that it helped uh, reduce your in praying for someone, or you praying, the act of praying, or meditating, or positive Just thoughts. Good, it? Helps your healing, helps boost your immune, yep. helps you deal better with stress, helps improve your memory. Yep. So from a scientific point of view, prayer is powerful. Okay, now let's take that, cause, and, and then we've we'll, we got to kind of button this up together. Because if you ask, if anybody's going to look at section 29, they're not seeing this as a section on prayer, right? Which is what we've been talking about. Section 29 is about what? The second coming. You read through the, the things that are, it describes happening in the second coming. For the second coming, that's a pretty nasty section, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Flies and, and stuff and you know, moon turning to blood. And I mean, it's like... And, and I think if we get closer to the second coming... It can, and you start seeing some of these things happen. Does your heart fail you a little bit? Become a little bit more scary? Do you find yourself a little bit more focused on Armageddon or Adam on Diana? Because both are coming. But when our when our fear kicks in, we focus more on Armageddon. It's going to be bad. I think when our faith and everything is there, we have a great wedding feast that's coming. At Adam on Diana is also part of the second coming. And all of section 29 is about all these signs that are coming. But it is prefaced by be united in prayer, and I will prepare your hearts for what? To be ready for what's going to come. And to help you be focused on Adam on Diana and not Armageddon. Don't be worried about the future, about what's coming up. There's stuff, there's going to be bad stuff happening, but the Lord will gather you under His wings. He's going to prepare your hearts by doing that. He's going to soften and love and watch over and protect you and help you know what to do. He's given you a prophet who's, going to, who's given guidance and direction to know what to do. So for all of this stuff, and we're going to see this again in section 101, Talking about this, the second kind. And we'll talk more about the specific signs when we get to section 101. But for all of that, brothers and sisters, focus on this idea that says if we will gather together and we will be one, the Lord will prepare our hearts and we'll be just fine. That's why I always worry about those who say, I really don't want to be part of the church or the church is boring or something. And they put themselves outside of this. They're out there hanging out on their own. You know, the mother chick is here gathering people in and they're going to be the obnoxious little chick that's going to do it on their own. Well, good luck with that. A, the world's a pretty careful world when you do it on your own. But be gathered in and be blessed and it's not so good. I bury my testimony that great things are coming. We're going to see some scary things, but we're going to see incredibly fantastic things in our lifetime. What a blessing that will be to us. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Our father in heaven, we bow our heads at the close of this institute class with great gratitude for the opportunity we've had to come here today and feel the spirit and learn more of our teachings. 
Thank you. 